Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Wellbeing Wednesdays. I am your host, Courtney Weaver. I'm also the director at WellWBU here at West Virginia University. I'm by myself this week, but don't worry, I'm actually not going to regale you with another story of an STI, but rather... We're going to talk about sexual response cycles. There's a lot of different models for them out there. And when we talk about it, it's really a way of explaining what's happening in the human body when you encounter sexual stimuli. So there are actually a bunch of different models. I'm just going to go over five of them. And believe me when I say that there is more. So the five that we're going to talk about today are the four phases of human sexual response by Masters and Johnson the cyclic arousal model by Rosemary Basson, the triphasal model of arousal by Helen Singer Kaplan, the erotic stimulus pathways model by David Reed, and then the dual control model of sexual response, which was developed by Eric Jansen and John Bancroft. Now, I got this information today from a lot of different places, um, including the Kinsey Institute, which they have a great website. You can go and learn all about sexuality education and sexuality research. But honestly, I also pulled this a lot from my comps study materials. So taking you way back to 2009 with that one. So let's get started. So first, let's talk about the human sexual response cycle by Masters and Johnson. So that's probably the one, if you've ever heard of this thing before, that you're most familiar with, largely because they did a show on Showtime called Masters of Sex, which is based on the lives of these two. I think it was on Showtime. I don't know. To be honest, I didn't watch it. But it was developed by William Masters and Virginia Johnson. She was his research assistant, and they ended up actually getting married to each other, but then they got divorced, and then they still worked together. So a little bit of a salacious history there. So basically their model outlines four different stages of physiological responses to sexual stimuli. So those stages are excitement, plateau, orgasm, and resolution. So let's start with the excitement phase, aka arousal or initial excitement phase. So it occurs as a result of physical or mental erotic stimuli. So that can include things like making out, kissing, Fantasy, viewing erotic images, things like that. Anything that leads to sexual arousal. So basically during this stage, what happens is the body is sort of preparing for intercourse and eventually leading to the next phase, which is the plateau phase. Now the excitement phase lasts for varying amounts of time, just depending on how your body works, really. Now physically, you're going to see an increased heart rate and breathing rate. Your blood pressure is going to rise. You're going to see vasocongestion of the skin and what's called like the sex flush. So skin will turn red. Sweating can occur. The penis can become partially or fully erect. And often that can happen very quickly. The clitoris will swell as well as the labia minora and the walls of the vagina. And then the vaginal walls will also begin to produce a lubricating organic liquid. Uh, And then breasts can increase slightly in size and the nipples become hardened and erect. So that is the excitement phase. So the next phase that Masters and Johnson described was the plateau phase. So that's the period of sexual excitement that's prior to orgasm. So it's characterized by increased circulation and heart rate, um, increased sexual pleasure, increased respiration. You might see some pre-ejaculatory fluid be present and start to be secreted. Uh, The clitoris can become extremely sensitive. Vaginal lubrication increases. And the diameter of the opening of the vagina actually reduces. Now, prolonged periods in this phase can lead to frustration if it never sort of advances to that orgasmic phase, which is the next phase. 
So the orgasmic phase is accompanied by quick cycles of muscle contraction in the lower pelvic muscles, which surround the primary sex organs. So it's generally you're experiencing a euphoric sensation. I can experience ejaculation from the penis. Then you can also experience ejaculation from the skein's glands or on the urethral opening if you uh, have a vagina. And then... You also can experience uterine and vaginal contractions, tightening of the vaginal walls, and but really overall, you know, good, great pleasure is what happens during this phase. And then the last phase is what's called resolution. So they describe it um, as something that occurs after orgasm, and it's a period that allows your muscles to relax, your blood pressure to drop back to normal, and then your body sort of slows down from that excited state. Now, um, there's also something called the refractory period, and that's a time frame when a penis is unable to orgasm again. And so the length of time for this varies. Like someone's refractory period could be 20 minutes. Another person could be 20 hours. So it really varies by the person, by their age, by their physicality, all that kind of stuff. Now, those with the clitoris have the ability to orgasm again very quickly, so long as there is effective stimulations. So that means they can experience multiple orgasms in a relatively short period of time. And that's a very quick overview of Masters and Johnson's human sexual response cycle. So when this model came out, you know, it was pretty groundbreaking, but probably fairly quickly, uh, some criticisms started to surface about the model. So one of those is that it defines sexual response like solely in terms of physiology. Like there is no emotional, psychological, or cognitive factors that are taken into consideration when they were developing this model. And Rosemary Basson, who we're going to talk about her model a little bit later, like her critique is that it poorly explains women's sexual response response. And then another big issue is that it's, and you'll see this actually with a few of these models, they're very goal oriented, which can cause a lot of problems if things don't follow this set pattern. So if like orgasm isn't, you know, achieved, then people can experience a lot of disappointment and all that kind of stuff and really should be focused more on pleasure. So someone else who had a lot of criticism for the Masters and Johnson model was Helen Singer Kaplan. And so she came up with a model called the triphasic model of sexual response. Fun fact about Helen, she actually founded the country's first uh, clinic for sexual disorders established at a medical school, and that was the Payne Whitney Clinic in 1907. That was just, just a random fun thing to know. Uh, but her triphasic model has three phases, desire, excitement, and orgasm. And she, when she was designing this model, she really wanted to highlight the components that she found to be most relevant. So desire is in first place, you know, it's it, and that reflects its importance in triggering the start of the entire response cycle. Like you have to want to do it. She removed the resolution phase from Masters and Johnson's model. She felt that it was like not of practical use since patients couldn't distinguish it from excitement. And then because she added desire to this model, it allowed those who studied sexual dysfunction to now categorize libido disorders as legitimate because desire is such a necessary component for sexual response. So it brought attention to like hormonal or other imbalances that affect sexual response outside the context of the sex act itself. Now, there are still some criticisms of this model too. You know, it's still very goal oriented as orgasm is the only determining factor for successful completion of a sexual act rather than being pleasure based. So our next model, we've already talked about this researcher pretty generally, but Rosemary Basson, which is her model of cyclic arousal, also known as the nonlinear model of sexual response. 
And this one's cool because it incorporates the need for intimacy and acknowledges that desire can be responsive or spontaneous and may come either before or after arousal. And also it recognizes that orgasms can contribute to satisfaction, but aren't necessary for satisfaction. So the previous two models, you know, very goal oriented. This is trying to resolve that issue. And it's very much looking at the needs of women here specifically. So there are several, there's emotional intimacy, sexual stimuli, sexual arousal, arousal and sexual desire, and then finally emotional and physical satisfaction. So a lot of Rosemary Besson's model, it has to do with seeking out and being receptive to sexual stimuli. And it's more complex because it acknowledges that, you know, the sexuality of women in particular is dramatically and significantly affected by numerous psychological and social issues. So that can include things like satisfaction with a relationship with a sexual partner, you know, their own self-image and body image, you know, if they've had previous negative sexual experiences. So it is sort of this complex beast. And, and because of that, because of this complexity, that's why it's so important to talk to, you know, your sexual partner before engaging in any type of sexual activity, because, you know, like the boss suggests, if you've had a previous negative sexual experience, you know, there could be certain activities that you and your partner engage in that could trigger some negative. And it's really important that you talk about that beforehand. Be like, look, if this happens, it's not going to be great and not going to be good for me. It's going to be bad. So let's not do that and sort of put it all out on the table. And again, the overall goal in this model is personal satisfaction. So, and she defines it in two different ways. It can be physical. So that means that they could experience orgasm or not, because you can still get a lot of physical pleasure out of the out of sex acts without necessarily getting to orgasm. But the satisfaction can also be emotional because you can experience a feeling of intimacy and connection with your partner. Now, there are some criticisms. The main one is that it was, you know, this model is heavily focused on women's sexuality. So it may not be as applicable to other genders. So that leads us to our next model, which is the erotic stimulus pathways model by David Reed. So this model focuses on a mixture of emotional and cognitive factors across four different phases. So the first phase is seduction, and that's the way desire is formed within and between people. The second phase is sensations. So that is what leads to physiological arousal. The third phase is surrender. That is what you have to do sort of in order to experience orgasm. And then the last phase is reflection. And that's when you really think about the meaning of the experience. So the seduction component acknowledges acts to show receptivity to sex. And then surrender acknowledges that temporary loss of control. And then I think what's cool is the reflection component is because that acknowledges that previous sex acts can influence feelings about future acts. So this model overall is very much more emotional than the the previous models, particularly Masters and Johnson and Helen Singer Kaplan. But one of the criticisms of this particular model is that it actually does not address uh, physiological disorders. So the final model that we're going to talk about today is the dual control model of sexual response. So this was developed by Dr. John Bancroft and Dr. Eric Jansen in the late 1990s. So again, these things aren't like super old school, right? You know, Masters and Johnson's did their work, I believe, in the 60s and 70s. You know, so the... 
these are relatively newer concepts, which is kind of bananas to think about because, you know, because we're all sexual beings until we die. But anyway, the dual control model reflects the idea that an individual sexual response is the product of a balance or a weighing between excitatory and inhibitory processes. So they described it as similar to having both a gas pedal, which would be excitation, and then a brake pedal, which would be inhibition. So the model proposes that the balance or weighing of these different processes determines whether or not a sexual response occurs within an individual in a given situation. So like, is our push on the gas pedal harder than our push on the brake pedal? And then it also assumes that there is individual variability in the propensity for these processes. And the model was really developed in an attempt to bring together a lot of different information in the realm of male sexual dysfunction and how important it is to give credence to individual differences. All right, well, that is your super quick crash course in human sexual response cycles. Hope you learned something. Once again, this isn't an exhaustive list of the different models. This was only five of them. There are more that are out there. So I'm going to put the information or the website for the Kinsey Institute in the description of this podcast. So you can go take a look at their website. It actually has a lot of different types of information on it. But until next time... You know, thanks for listening. Appreciate you. I hope you all are gearing up for spring break. And uh, we'll catch you next time on Wellbeing Wednesdays. Wednesdays.